Welcome to the Property Nomads podcast. And here is your host, Rob Smallbone. Welcome to this episode of the Property Nomads podcast. I'm delighted to today to be joined by Mark Smith. Part of this mini series we've got going on, we've touched base with you know, lettings agents, people that are building up portfolios. Well, we've got a different uh, angle for you today. And Mark Smith is a tax expert, he's a barrister based at Cotswold Barristers in Cheltenham. He's well known within the private rentist sector. He led the legal team that recovered £27 million of unlawfully charged mortgage interest from West Bromwich Building Society in 2016 on behalf of 6,200 landlords. Uh, the case was Mark Alexander versus West Bromwich. And in, in association with Property 118, he has designed robust strategies to allow rental businesses to incorporate without refinancing. And over 100 businesses have successfully done so to date from the introduction of the BICT in November 2015. Oh, Mark, that's one hell of an introduction and thank you for taking time out today. It's a pleasure, thank you. What got you started in law, I suppose, in the first place? In law? Well, fa- in law, yeah. My father was a policeman and we always used to watch Crown Court on ITV and uh, that really led me into uh, wanting to practice law and after 10 or 12 years as a solicitor I eventually got my dream job to become a, a criminal law barrister. So I started off in criminal law and 10 or 12 years ago developed more interest in commercial civil work dealing with property cases and disputes between businesses and that was what really led me into um, my association with Property 118. What is it about, so I say law, and that might sound quite generic, what is it that really excites you? Is that what gets you going in the morning? What, is, what about it does that for you? Well, I've been doing it for 30 odd years now, so I guess the excitement levels have diminished somewhat, but still just trying to do something that makes a difference to somebody. I don't think people by and large have a great opinion of our legal system and anything I can do to use that system to improve their position, whatever position that may be, is something that I think is still worth doing. In terms of today, a lot of the subjects we're going to be talking about really revolves around tax planning. So some people have different ideas of what different things mean for example you know we're not um for example, i think al capone got done by tax evasion which is different from tax avoidance which is different from tax planning so can you touch on all all three of those certainly tax planning i guess is the first one to take which is the uh, the nice version of what we do which is basically structuring your business affairs in compliance with the law and hmrc practice to ensure that you pay the least amount of tax cons- consistent with your legal duties um, tax avoidance is something which is caught up with by HMRC eventually, which is doing something that doesn't have any commercial justification, something which is done for the sole purpose of paying less tax, where it may be artificial, there may be a lot of moving parts to it, there may be transactions that take place within very short spaces of time. If those things are done for the dominant purpose of paying less tax, then they won't be a- a allowed to have effect by HMRC. And tax evasion is a, is a criminal offence. It's easy to uh, define that. A lot of people that I speak to, and there seems to be like a, a big lack of, from the people I speak to, a big lack of sort of information. Well, not information that's out there, but people you know, know how to buy property. They know how to do X, Y, Z. But when it comes down to the business planning side you know, and tax efficient strategy side, they seem to not know 
a lot about it. Do you find that's quite common with the people that you speak to day in, day out? I do. I, I speak a lot on the Property Investors Network circuit, and one of the things I like to do is get everybody to stand up in the room, and I get them to stay standing if they've heard of the abolition of finance cost relief, Section 24. I get them to stay standing if they know the impact that that's going to have on their business, and I get them to stay standing if they've taken steps to mitigate the impact that it's going to have on their business. And in a room of 60 or 70 people, I'm surprised if I get more than six still standing at the end. So it is a matter of, of concern that uh, I think it uh, largely comes from the fact that people who get into property don't necessarily think they're running a business. And that is not the attitude that I would want to urge on people. If you've got three or four houses in your portfolio and then suddenly you've got five or six, you've got a business with a million pounds worth of assets. And that's something that has to be taken very seriously and looked at from a, a hard-headed business point of view. And that includes planning to structure it in the most tax-efficient way. Yeah, absolutely, 100%, because a lot of people will you know, get into property and almost go down sort of the hobby route. But in reality, as you say, you can have five or six properties, depending on where you buy them, you have over a million pounds worth of assets. You need to start thinking very differently about that. Yes, if you own a factory with a million pounds worth of equipment in it, or you own a, an IT business with, with a million pounds worth of computer equipment, you undoubtedly will consider yourself running a business. And so it shouldn't, shouldn't be any different if you've got a million pounds worth of houses under your control. Rolling back to Section 24, and again, I make the assumption that you know, most people that are listening to this are going to know what that is. There might be some that have no idea what Section 24 is. Can you go in depth about that, please? Yes. What, uh, it goes back to the Finance Act in 2015. George Osborne's one of his last uh, waves before he lost the job as Chancellor of the Exchequer or, or gave up the job. It was designed to level the playing field between, as Mr Osborne saw it, the private rented sector and first-time buyers trying to get onto the housing ladder. And he, his justification for it was, we are subsidising private rented sector landlords, in effect, by giving tax relief on their finance costs, where that doesn't happen for first-time buyers. Um, so in order to uh, allow people to plan more efficiently, it was stepped. So over four tax years, it was reduced from... 25%, 50%, 75%, and then in, in tax year 2021, it's going to be 100% disallowance of finance cost relief as a, as a deductible expense. Instead, what you're going to get is a basic rate tax credit applied to your, to your tax calculation. But of course, a lot of people who are highly geared are going to find a huge impact on the way their businesses are, are, uh, are taxed and the amount of profit they can take. Now, does this apply if people have got yeah, properties in their own personal name, does it apply to companies as well? That's the big difference. It only applies to people who pay self-assessment income tax on their property income. If you have your business held in a company, you still get the full finance cost relief applied before you compute your corporation tax profits. Do you think there's a particular reason why the, the government set it out to be like that? Oh, I think it goes back to what Mr Osborne's justification for it was to make things easier for first-time buyers and buyers just getting onto the property ladder to compete with private renter sector landlords. Uh, that's the only justification I can see. I don't want to get political and talk about companies who own large swathes of property and perhaps more are uh, more the natural donors to the Conservative Party, but that is, is one possible interpretation of it. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's difficult to... Sometimes I must admit, not involved in you know, politics, especially with current economic climate. And if you know, um, if, yeah, if Corbyn gets in charge, for example, and he's looking at you know certain rent controls and you know bits and bobs, and you know, in, in reality, listen to Free Economics podcast recently about that very subject. You know, in reality, it doesn't work. 
that's what they say. I don't know, but say so it's very easy to get politics involved, you know, we, and we shouldn't. Yeah, I think it will be a complete paradigm shift, if I'm permitted a cliche or two, if uh, there's a change in colour of the government of this country. And if, if Mr Corbyn does become the Prime Minister, then there's going to be a whole new raft of things that PRS landlords will have to be thinking about, and I can't even begin to imagine what they may be. No, but talking of changes, you say, you say 34 years... Yes, you qualified as solicitor in uh, 1986, so this is coming out 33 years qualified and two years training before that. So That's incredible. So over the, over the time, have you seen periods where there's been not many changes in sort of laws and legislation governing property and then you get a quick cycle of, you know, like we've got at the moment, you've got a, you know, a fit and, you know, property fitness you know, sort of testing that come in on the 20th of March. Then you've got, you know, uh, Section 24, as you mentioned in, Letting agent fees ban coming in later on in, in the year. There seems to be like a flurry of just hammering away at landlords yeah. at the moment. Have well, you found over the time there's a cycle? Very, well, very much so. In, in the early days of, of buy to let, it was a great thing for people to do, as we said earlier, almost like a hobby that people would do as an adjunct to their to their day jobs. It's something in addition to the pension fund and something that would be done uh, on the side. And it was there was a, a reasonable flow of, of funds available and not much regulation surrounding those. But when the, when the credit crunch came, and it seems that every, every time you pick up the uh, the paper, there's something else that is being done in relation to landlords. You know, the the increase in SDLT for uh, for second or subsequent properties, selective licensing, compulsory licensing, regulation of all sorts of, uh, of HMOs. Uh, it just seems that they are considered an easy target by the government, and this abolition of finance cost relief is is a, another example of that. The, the private rented sector is the only sector of business where your taxation is calculated on your income rather than your profits, and you can't remove or discount some of the expenses before you work out what tax you've got to pay. There's no other sector where that's the case. Very, very true, and it's, it's, it's I think we're in that sort of you know, area at the moment where, as you say, landlords are such an easy, an easy target, such that people are just hammering away. That depends on what way you look at it, because obviously that creates, in, in the eyes of many people that might be treating property as a hobby, you know, they want to get out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but for other people, you know, professionals, that creates just more opportunity, just another hoop to jump through. Would you say think that's a fair assessment? Well, I, I think it is, and it, it, if you go into it with the mindset of you are the CEO of a of a significant business, that is the way that you will achieve success. And it is perfectly possible to build up a business sufficient to allow you to do that and nothing else, and provide income for your general living and and a retirement plan as well. So if you if you take it seriously, if you organise yourself properly, then uh, there's no reason why that can't be the case. When a lot of people get started in property, you hear you know, a lot of them, you know, go and find the deals, go and get the money, etc., etc., etc. But not again, we alluded earlier on, not many people seem to think of the very long term implications, say tax wise. So from your experience and dealing with different people, when would you say the best time to speak to someone like yourself would be with regards to the, your longer term? property strategy? Well, when you've made a decision that you're going to go down this line and develop a property business, then the sooner the better. I've spoken to quite a few younger people at the PIN meetings who are embarking on their property journey, as it's known, and they are being advised by their accountants wisely to start off in in a limited company straight away. There's a, it makes the financing a lot easier because the uh, the criteria for lending in a company are different from those uh, that apply to personal borrowing and the ability to get um, more financial benefit from the business is, is is clear if you run it through a company. Would you say that everyone's initial position is different? I mean, 
in terms of, for example, if I'm sat here and I'm earning, you know, £90,000 a year and I'm working in London, would my sort of tax position therefore be different from, say, if I was, you know, on a, on a £20,000 job in Liverpool, for example, but I still wanted to get into property? Would, would the advice still be the same or does that depend on everyone's individual circumstances? Well, hopefully, if you're on that £20,000 a year job and you want to get into property, you're doing so for the purpose of building a business and building a portfolio. So if you reach the level where you should be advised to be putting your business into a company, the question then arises, well, what do you do with what you've already built up? And if you, you're trying to move those properties into a company, then there's all sorts of problems that arise. If you're a sole trader, there will be SDLT payable, even though you're selling it to a company that you own yourself which is a significant amount of, of, of tax to pay within 30 days of the transaction. There's no deferment like self-assessment is where you've got a year or so to plan for it. You've got to pay it within a month, otherwise there's penalties. Uh, there's capital gains implications as well, potentially, if what you've got in your hands at that point doesn't class as being big enough to be run as a business. So you've got to think big and make the business scalable from day one, I would suggest, and the only way to do that is to uh, have it in a company. But of course, what we're dealing with is, by and large, people who have gone through the golden age of buy-to-let and have now got significant portfolios. Uh, and the question that uh, falls to them is, well, how do I mitigate and deal with the problems that Section 24 uh, abolition or finance cost relief is now causing for me? And in terms of dealing with that, and you know, feel free to go into it if you want to, uh, I assume that then there are decent and efficient ways of dealing with that for people that might have multi-million pound portfolios all in their own personal names? Well, that's right, yes. We, we've developed, a, since 2015, when the Section 24 was first trailed, um, along with Property 118, we've developed a number of strategies to help people keep the businesses afloat in a lot of cases where they are highly geared, uh, but in a way that they can uh, be robust for the future and, and make sure that, that they can pass the business on in a, in a healthy state to their chosen successes. A lot of people will get, not necessarily confused, but when you, you see all these sort of uh, stories in the media of like Google or whoever it is, Starbucks, you're not paying tax X, Y, Z. And, you know, a lot of people throw their toys out the pram quite quickly, you know, about that. In, in, terms, of, in terms of property, it's, it's important to reiterate that this is strategic tax planning. Yes. 100%. It's not... You know, we're not say trying to you know create clever schemes to you know avoid or evade tax. We are literally using what the parameters that HMRC have set out, and we're abiding by them. That is all that's going on. Yes, that's exactly so. I mean, if uh, if this may be caught by a safe search, but if you Google Dutch sandwich, you'll see what the, the sort of tax planning that some of the uh, the companies in, engage in. And this is what I said earlier about the number of moving parts that there are in some things that are avoidance rather than legitimate planning, where there will be a company set up in a low tax jurisdiction that has the IP for a trademark, for example, where the UK company will have to pay a huge amount to the low tax jurisdiction company for the right to use the trademark in the UK, things of that sort. We don't get involved in anything of that kind. And the thing we do recommend for our PRS clients, we will say, here is the legal provision that allows this to be done. Here is the manual that shows how HMRC interpret and apply the law. And we put all these moving parts together and come up with a, a solution that, that, that uses the rules for the benefit of the client. Yeah, I'm looking at my, uh, I haven't done a bit of uh, research in this myself, and I'll, I'll quote this. In, um, so in 1936, a landmark legal case was heard in the House of Lords which is Inland Revenue Commissioners versus the Duke of Westminster um, in 1936. And the Duke of Westminster won the case and the judge, the judge even, sorry, uh, Lord Tomlin stated, 
Every man is entitled, if he can, to arrange his affairs so that the tax attaching under the appropriate acts is less than it otherwise would be. If he succeeds in ordering them so as to secure that result, then however unappreciative the commissioners of inland revenue or his fellow taxpayers may be of his ingenuity, he cannot be compelled to pay an increased tax. That's a very just fancy way of just summarising what you've just said, right? It is, and there's been a refinement of that since the GAAR, the General Anti-Avoidance Rule, came in, that if revenue find that um, you're taking steps with no legitimate commercial purpose to reduce your tax bill, then they are entitled to challenge that and say, we're not giving you the tax benefit, we're going to ignore the fact that you've taken that step. So, for example, you might form a partnership uh, for the purpose of not having to pay SDLT on incorporation of your business and then try to incorporate the next day or the next month. Well, that, that won't work. There's a specific anti-avoidance provision that says you have to have operated the partnership for three years before you can incorporate. And that's an example of the sort of thing that is now in place. So that is still in principle right, but you've got to be aware that not everything that you do uh, will result in the sort of tax saving that may have been done years ago. You've got to have a commercial justification for the steps that you take. So, for example, if you want to set up a company, one of the reasons might be you want to attract outside investment. You want to limit your liability in uh, in uh, liability to your, to your tenants. Um, you may want to create shares to pass on to your successes in a more tax-efficient way. All of those things are legitimate commercial reasons why people would want to set up a company rather than hold property in their own names. And the reason for people not doing that is probably down to the fact that they have do not have the knowledge they can actually do that in the first place. Well, I think that's right. Um, again, it comes back to if you're engaged in a business, then you keep abreast of what is happening at the edges of, of the business. You, you need to understand how all the work that you put in is going to be going to be properly rewarded because it is hard. It's hard work. HMOs and, and uh, tenants can be difficult to, uh, to to deal with. It's not a nine to five Monday to Friday operation. Boilers don't break down. At convenient times, so it it is graft. It's hard work, and and you're entitled to to run it in the best way that you can to make sure you get the most benefit from it. And as you said earlier on, you know, you are the CEO of your own company, so you should you know you will hear people talk about oh yeah leverage this, leverage that, leverage this, leverage that. But if you have that fundamental interest or passion in what you do, you are going to be on top of things as, as much as possible in terms of keeping up with legislation and different changes, you know, in in rules and, and the law because. Yeah sometimes things get bought in and they take people completely by surprise yes well, that, well that's absolutely right and it's it's uh, people do take a pride in what they do most of our clients if all of our clients are, are proud of what they do they try and promote good standards amongst their accommodation and look after their clients well i can uh, have their, their tenants well i can think of a number of examples i won't embarrass people who might be listening by by calling them out by name but i know a number of people who take steps that they're not legally required to do but really sort of pastoral caring um, especially if they've got young people in an HMO for example or are living away from home the first time really nice humbling things to hear about and, and it's not just a question of make, scraping every last pound out of the investment they do want a sustainable business and they want to have that, that profile and reputation Yeah, six and one half dozen in the end of the day we're in, you know, we're in, the, uh, we're in the business to, to make money but I like to think we're providing a, a service as such 
and if we can do that to the best of our ability, then you know that that will create that win-win. Yeah, so a, a home. I mean, a home is a, is a basic thing that everybody aspires to, and if you don't own your own, then you want the next best thing. Rolling back to the case with Mark Alexander versus West Bromwich, I mean, twenty-seven million pounds of unlawfully charged mortgage interest. That's lots to recover. Tell us a little bit more about the case, how it came about, and. I will. Um, it goes back to 2013, where the West Bromwich Mortgage Company, which is an arm of the West Bromwich Building Society, they had about six and a half thousand tracker rate mortgages on in the BTL market, where the interest rate was fixed at 1.99 percent above base. Now, as you'll know, in 2013, base had bumped along at half a percent for about four years, and. Uh, because all the mortgages have been sold into the securitization market, the West Brom were only collecting the money and having to pay money out to the people who bought the income streams. And I guess, although we never knew, that they were actually paying out more than they were getting in. So what they did was increase the margin above base to 3.99% above base. And their argument was, well, it's still a tracker, but we're just tracking it from a bit further away. Um, and as a consequence, that everybody's mortgage interest payments went up virtually doubled overnight because of course it, the, the marginal rate was 4.449 at that point and um, property 118 Mark Alexander was the lead litigant he put through his website a uh, an action group together uh, with about uh, 400 effective mortgages about 240 mortgage holders um, the West Brom quite cannily said well look we will apply whatever the outcome of this across the board so in one way it might be thought of they were trying to divide and rule but the people who put the money in put enough money in to pay for the case and put a war chest aside for the West Bromwich's costs because of course they will want to know well if we lose who's going to pay for our legal costs so we had the argument we lost the first uh, trial at the uh, at the High Court in London but on appeal Lord Justice Leveson and his colleagues who you'll know from the Leveson inquiry are found in favour of us on all on all respects so we had the uh, they unlawfully charged at that point three years of mortgage interest repaid in a lump sum. Everybody was put back on the same terms as they were before, and uh, we had all all our legal costs were reimbursed. So uh, everybody was delighted with that outcome. So that, of course, uh, in terms of Cotswold barristers, in, improved our port our uh, profile in the PRS sector. And then when Section Twenty Four came in, Property One One Eight said, "Well, look, you must be able to think about think of something to do with this." So that's when that. It's more from the background of property law rather than tax law, but when you know how properties are owned and how you construct your businesses, then the tax law that applies to that is not that difficult to to apply once you've got those those building blocks in place. So I wouldn't really promote myself as a tax specialist, it's more a, a property specialist with knowledge of how tax impacts on the kind of structures that we put together. How did the relationship with Property one one eight come back. So he's done some fantastic work. By the way, anyone that's listening, go and check out. Uh, go and check out the website. The link will be in the show notes. Some fantastic content on there. How did that relationship come out in the first place? It really came from the West Bromwich case because at the time I got involved in it. It's, it's worthwhile pointing out that it was done on a direct access basis, which means although I'm a barrister, I didn't have a solicitor involved. There was a meeting uh, in London with about 100 of the affected um, action group where the solicitor who had control of the case up to then made his pitch and I made my pitch and there was a vote on who was going to take the case forward and suffice to say that I took the case forward. And um, so we got a very good relationship with uh, Property Wellmanate as a result. Mark was the lead, the lead uh, litigant on that, so his name was all over the, the, the press after that, um, after the success. So that really helped uh, consolidate Wellmanate's position as a, 
as a go-to resource for the PRS sector and, and um, everybody was so delighted with what we managed to achieve together that um, it was like, it was almost a clamour for, well, you must be able to do something about this. So we've developed expertise in it over the last three or four years and um, we've helped um, nearly 200 businesses to incorporate uh, in that time. We've advised on uh, trust structures, partnership structures, all sorts of other things that uh, have developed over the time, um, which you can read about if you go to the website, as you've kindly pointed out to the listeners. Yeah, that'll definitely be in the show notes. So I've had a, we've had a really good browse. There's so much you know, great content information. And again, as you say, you're going back, we're going back to this fundamental point of you are the CEO of, of your own business. Okay, yes, it's going to be okay to sort of leverage out certain aspects like the management of the property and so forth. But if you're not up to date with what's going on, you know, in the country, you know, law, legislation, etc., nine times out of 10, you're just going to be, you know, caught off guard. And that's never a situation you want to be in as, as a responsible business owner. That is correct. I mean, 118 has a daily newsletter of things that you need to know. Um, and it's never wasted time keeping up with with um, what they have to say. Has any law or legislation uh, slipped in that you've not been initially aware about? <laughs> I, I have to ask it. <laughs> what a question. <laughs> Fortunately, the, the sector that we operate in and the, the taxation that applies to it is always well trailed. There's always a lot of consultation about it. And we've become budget day geeks as well. So we always sit and listen to the budget in full and look at all the coverage and uh, see what's going to impact our, our client base, if anything. And uh, as things stand, um, I would say you can take it that we're pretty up to date with what is going to happen and what what uh, what does happen in terms of the taxation, uh, the law that affects the PRS. It, it, now, it's a, it's a word given at the time of recording and everything that that's going on, I hate to bring it up, I'm going to bring it up anyway, Brexit, it's doing my head in, I think it's doing most people's head in, but do you think that's going to have um, an impact on the way that people um, are going to structure their businesses in the UK, or is it just such a grey area that we need to wait and see what happens? I don't think anybody knows how to structure their businesses at the moment. The the only effect that I've, I've heard of in going to property investor network meetings and uh, talking to people is that there's a possible reduction in, in demand a tailing off uh, of demand for from EU citizens, people are less inclined to sign up and um, more inclined to try and do something short term because they don't know what their future is, even even more so than we don't know what our future is. At least we know we'll still be living in the UK and our, the EU citizens who've come over, they don't know whether they're going to be allowed to carry on working and residing here. It's just all so unclear. Pleasure. The flip side to that, pardon the pun, property people, is that supply is so below demand i mean i think i remember reading uh, an article recently where they you'd have to have a net immigration of zero for 14 consecutive years and be building the current amount of houses whatever number that may be again for 14 consecutive years in order for supply to to meet demand so i mean depending on what goes on here yeah, there could be an outflux but i suppose in reality although we won't know until we get there you know if you're in any doing family let's it's, Pretty rocks. It's pretty rock solid stuff. Cause right. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the, the, the demand seems to be um, fairly fairly constant. People don't seem to have many void periods that we see on the uh, on the financial information that comes through. Um, so I think it's still a very healthy business to be in. Obviously, you see some of these things at the margins. I remember seeing in the London Evening Paper the the garden shed inside the uh, inside the the lounge. It was let as a separate uh, dwelling in the HMO, things of that sort. Um, we don't have any clients who uh, 
go to that length to increase the number of beds they can offer. But um, certainly the, the demand is there and there are obviously the well-known hotspots around the country. Yeah, there's been some interesting articles when you read about sheds or whatever, or I think there was a beach hut, I think, recently. in it Bournemouth or Boscombe? Anyway, somewhere, somewhere down there that sold for, I want to say it's about £25,000. I'm thinking, could probably buy a property in Grimsby for that. I'm sure you get a better tenant, granted, but you know, it's, it's amazing the, the disparity, I suppose, between between North and South, but you know, it is what it is. I, I can say that I live in Holborn from Reading originally, so... Slightly better weather in Bournemouth is the only thing I was saying. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing like the whiff of the Humber first thing in the morning, but that's a different story altogether. Um, Mark, in terms of sort of top tips to give to people, obviously, you know, you're open for business, as you said, but are there any... What would your three top tips be to people that are either already in property or just thinking about getting into property? Planning and yeah, planning and education is is the, uh, the the main one. What I find with property people is they are very forthcoming in giving tips and, and hints for people who are who are coming through. So you can go to your local networking meetings. Property investors network is a great place to uh, to go. You can meet people face to face. Property one one eight forums are fantastic. You can put a problem up on there and you can bet that somebody's had that problem as well uh, and they will give their their advice and their replies and people will, will join in so it's a very collegiate very collegiate sector to be in in that way so so take advantage of the fact that people are willing to share and, and give that information and the other, the other tip i would say is one we have alluded to a couple of times during this uh, this chat you are the ceo of a, of a significant business so don't go in with the attitude of saying oh my accountant won't let me do this or my lender won't like it like it if i do this be a bit more robust in saying to your paid professionals who work for you i want to achieve this make it happen so in terms of people that you know might speaking to accountants again you know, it might be property specialists and so forth would you then say for would you then say it's fair to say that it's very complimentary to have someone like yourself working almost side by side so if your accountant might say one thing but you, know, you might have a lot more knowledge about xyz and say otherwise so would you say it's fair to have both people working in tandem well i think uh, there's probably a, a role for 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 us personally in a, a certain stage in the life of the business so what we try to do is structure it so that it's robust and scalable for the future you don't have to come to us every year like you do for your accountant but we're here to give assistance to people who have been through our one of our processes and there's never any extra charge for that so once it's set up and running it's, it's basically thrown over the wall for you to get on with and that is designed that way to make sure that there's no obsolescence in it as far as we can achieve. But of course we're there to give assistance and pointers in the future if need be, but you don't need to keep coming back to us because it's designed to make sure that you can run it in a conjunction with your accountant for as long as, uh, long as you want to. So effectively once it's, once it's set up, barring you know, ridiculous changes in the law or the way that things are done, it's pretty much there and, and keep your eye on it basically. That's pretty much it, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. I'd like to do a bit of a quick fire round, and I say I apologise in advance for the questions. The the questions they're not always the best questions in the world, but they always seem to get the the best answers. So, what would be the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Prepare. There's never any substitute for knowing what you need to be doing before you start doing it. Preparation. What would be the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? <laughs> oh, right. It'll be all right on the night, I guess, which is a, <laughs> the flip side of, uh, again, no pun, of uh, the best piece of advice I've ever been given. In the last three years, what belief, habit or behaviour has had the most positive impact on your life? 
I think people having confidence in what, what they're doing. Um, I, I do like to see, especially younger people coming into, into property, to, uh, to have confidence and, and belief that what they're doing is, is a worthwhile thing and they can provide something that makes a difference to people's lives. Uh, I don't think landlords, estate agents, lawyers, we, we're not all um, at the public affection like, like, like nurses are and, uh, and soldiers and things of that sort. But if we weren't here, then the effects would be, well, probably not estate agents, but certainly landlords and lawyers. If, you, if we weren't here, I think you would, uh, you would notice soon enough that things were better when we were here. Fair enough, very valid point well made. Uh, finally, what one piece of advice would you give to someone that is in limbo over making a decision? take the best advice that you can and don't take a lot of advice take the best advice I don't like being put in a position of being asked by a client well such an advisor's told me this and such an advisor such a person's told me this or I've heard this well that's fine um, I was always brought up to be um, to be to uh, if you can't say anything nice don't say anything so I just don't say anything about a, uh, a number of pieces of advice that people come to me asking me to comment on our structures are robust and tested um, they are simple and straightforward and they work so if it works for you in your position great if it doesn't then I'm sure there's somebody else out there for you but by and large if there's nothing we can do for you we'll tell you and we'll tell you early on and there won't be any fee for that to be done um, but there nearly always is. So we do uh, strongly urge you take advantage of Property 118. The consultation process is £400 plus VAT. If you don't get anything beneficial out of it, you can have your money back. No quibbles on that. And then if there is something in the recommendations that will be illustrated for your benefit, then uh, the, work, the legal work will come over to us and we'll, we'll push it on. And you'll see the cost-benefit analysis before you decide to commit. It's all very transparent. And that's where that mindset comes in of people will sometimes, you know, look at that initial sort of costing or investment and then go, well, actually, well, I don't want to pay that. But actually, say you set up 400 plus VAT, well, that could save you thousands of pounds, possibly more down the line. So it's better to get it done now and get it done correctly rather than, you know, faff around about, oh, it's going to cost X, Y, Z. It's, it's not about that. It's about the investment that's going to yield in the long run. Well, that's right. So... Uh, the, the 118 bit of software is a, is a fantastic bit of, bit of kit. It will tell you where you will be if you stay as you are in three, five years' time, and it will tell you where you could be if you carry out the recommendations in three or five years' time. You can see the difference. Now, the fees fall in between those two sums, so it's a question of investing what um, the, the fee in relation to the work, and it's, it, it's always meant to yield a benefit. You should always be ahead of the game, and if you're not going to be ahead of the game, we'll tell you, and then there won't be anything to pay because you won't engage the service. Very, very poignant. I've actually had that. And finally, if people want to get hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, you can uh, email me, mark at cotswoldbarristers.co.uk, or you can go to property118.com stroke tax and there you will see everything that, that we've developed together. You can read it at your leisure, book a consultation and eventually um, if something comes out of the consultation that you want to do, you'll be in contact with me for that purpose. Wonderful. And we'll put all those links in the show notes so you can contact Mark. Well, Mark, thank you very much for your time. It's been really informative and enjoy the Chelsea game. I understand you're a Chelsea fan and they're playing tonight, so enjoy the game. It is. So that will date that will date this. So in terms of Brexit, April the eighth, lunchtime, things may have changed by the time this goes out. We may be a vassal state, we may have cancelled Brexit, who knows, somewhere in between. But Rob, thanks very much, it's been really enjoyable. Thanks for coming down. Thanks.